Okay, let me pray and we'll, we'll dig into Scripture then. Lord, thank you for these things that have been shared, Lord, for what Ian experienced, for what Marcia experienced. And Lord, we thank you for your word. What a gift. I pray that in a powerful way it would be lamp to our feet and a light to our path today. And that you would shine your light through your word into our hearts, into our circumstances, into into our worldview, and that we would see more clearly than ever before what is going on in this world as we open your word today and what you want to be to us and do for us. So I pray for your help, Lord. Give me the right heart and the right wisdom and come and work with power now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Well, we've already been celebrating Christmas. Thanks to the Bruce family for helping kick off our Advent time this morning. We'll do the same thing next two Sundays, so be here at 9.45 if you can. Uh, But Christmas is a powerful time. Uh, for those who love and follow Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a rich time to worship Him even more deeply and to learn even more about Him and to grow in trusting Him even more. Christmas is a powerful time to celebrate Jesus as our Lord, Savior, and treasure. But what I've found is that um, all that focus on Christ can be squelched out really easily by the busyness, by the pressures, by the demands. Anybody already felt some of that coming on? And so Jerry and I felt like it would be wise to spend the next uh, four sermons uh, taking a little break from Hebrews for the next four weeks and focusing on Luke's description of what happened at the Christmas season 2,000 years ago, what happened, so that we can use what Luke teaches us in our own personal devotions to really press in and to see who Jesus Christ is and what he's done and to worship him even more deeply, to use it in our family devotions, to reflect on the meaning of Christmas. And so that's what we're going to do these next four Sundays is to dig into Luke chapters 1 and 2 and to study what Luke taught about Christmas, about Jesus' birth. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, as we always like to ask, go ahead and raise your hand. It's important that you have a Bible in front of you so that you can open up and study with us. The most important words you will see here are the words that are in the scriptures today. My job is I want to help you see what's in the scriptures. The scriptures are the the power of God for salvation. And so have a Bible in front of you. And if you're you're turning in, in one of the Bibles we passed out, it's page 855 in those Bibles. Now, in Luke chapter 1, Luke describes events that took place 2,000 years ago. And to help set the stage so we we feel the the immensity of these events he's describing, I just want to kind of set the stage by by having us think about what was going on in Israel, what was going on in in the Jewish people, what was going on in, in the faithful Old Testament saints who were alive in Jerusalem at that time. Because what, what was happening in their hearts at that time was that they were full of longing and full of expectation and full of hope. And I want to just raise the question, why? Why were they waiting, longing, and hoping? And the reason is because all through their history, God time and time and time and time again had raised up prophets who prophesied that the day would come. I mean, just think about the the. the power of hearing this prophecy that the day would come when God himself would come to earth and be born as a baby 
who would be the Messiah, whose death would save us from our sins, whose presence would satisfy our hearts, and whose reign would spread throughout the whole world, righting every wrong and ultimately bringing the new heavens and the new earth. And so time and time again, the people of Israel heard these prophecies. This is what God's going to do. This is what he's going to do. And I want to show you one. Turn to page 573, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It's 573 in the Bibles we passed out. I just want to give you one to to just give you a, a flavor. Imagine that you were an Old Testament believer And you heard Isaiah speak these words at around 700 B.C. And imagine how this would have stirred your heart to know that this is what God's promising He will do. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government, all authority, shall be upon His shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, this child, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now get this last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that's the kind of prophecy that Old Testament believers heard. And so what would well up in their hearts, I mean, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of them all through the Old Testament, and so what welled up in their hearts was longing and waiting and praying and hoping for God to do what he had promised. So if you were an an Old Testament saint 2,000 years ago, you would have been longing, waiting, and hoping for God to do what he'd promised in terms of sending the Messiah. But now something else God had done to, to heighten the anticipation even more was that starting at 400 B.C., God raised up no more prophets. So if you can just kind of get, get Israel's history, starting way back in Genesis 3.15, prophecy, 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 raising up prophets, raising up prophets, the Messiah's coming, God's going to send the Messiah, a baby's going to be born, his name is going to be God, he's going to save. So all these prophets, 400 B.C., silence for 100 years. 200 years, 300 years, 400 years. So if 2,000 years ago you were in Jerusalem, you would have been waiting and longing and you would have, it's kind of like when you have a drum roll and then silence, there's a sense of expectation. So God had this 400 year period of just like silence, no more prophets. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I mean, think of 400 years of waiting. That would take us back to 1612. Waiting, waiting. Waiting, waiting. And then, Luke chapter 1. It happens, okay? What does Luke want to teach us from this story? He starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth. So what does he want to teach us from the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth? And as I studied verses 5 through 25, I saw seven main truths that he wants us to be impacted by with this story. And the first truth is this. These events he's going to write about, they really happened in history. Okay, look at verse, the first eight words of verse 5. He starts off, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. He doesn't start off 
once upon a time. Okay, whole different feel if you start a story off that way. He wants to put the, the time and the place in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now this is crucial. Every historian, secular, Christian, non-Christian, every historian knows about the Herodian dynasty, the line of kings with the name of Herod. And every historian knows that this Herod ruled over a real Judea from about 37 B.C. to about four, 3 or 4 B.C. Okay, the dates, it's not 0 B.C. because dates, they weren't real precise back then, but it's close enough, okay? 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Real Herod ruled over real Judea. And so Luke wants us to understand from the very get-go, this happened. This took place on planet Earth. This is history. This is real. That's the first truth. Second truth. These events happen to a couple who are the perfect example of Old Testament believers. So this didn't happen with people who are from Syria far to the north or Egyptians down to the southwest. God loves them too. But this happened with people that are right smack dab in the middle of God's purposes for Israel. Look at how Luke emphasizes what's true about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Start with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. You don't get more to the center of God's working amongst his people than the priests with the temples. This is a priest, an Old Testament Jewish priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Okay, so you don't get more Jewish than this, okay? Zechariah is an Old Testament priest, and his wife Elizabeth, her great, 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 great grandfather was Aaron, who was Moses' right-hand man. Like, talk about a pedigree. I mean, this is like awesome. These are like the very heart and soul of the Jewish people right here amongst with Zechariah and Elizabeth. So the setting is God's people, Jerusalem, the Jewish people. Verse 6, they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That doesn't mean they were sinless. That just means that that word blameless, as it's used in the scripture, means the bent of your life, their longing, was to be faithful to God. So this Jewish couple, priest, great-great-great-great-granddaughter of Aaron, faithful to God, but there was a problem. Verse 7, they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Okay, so verses 5 through 7, this is a couple were the perfect example of Old Testament Israel. Now third, God sends Zechariah an angel. Now start in verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division, the division of priests, was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, can we kick the first, that next slide up? I want to show you, just so you have a picture of what we're talking about here with the temple. Okay, this is the whole temple complex. Now, see, see that little section where the temple is right there in, in the center? That part right there is 200 yards long and 100 yards wide. So this is massive. See this little, little section here? That's the little place Gentiles couldn't go past that section. Here's the temple right here. So this section here, 100 yards 200 yards long, 100 yards wide. I just wanted to show this to you. Do you see how big that is? There's, if you can see really close, there's little people right there. There's a little person right there, okay? We're talking, this is massive. This is a huge temple complex. Let's go to the next one. So here's an actual picture of the temple. 
Okay, so this is the temple. This is 16 to 20 stories tall. 16 to 20 stories tall. You see a little, a little person right there. Okay, that's a little person. Now, Zachariah would have been right in here, and here, and, and the angel would have showed up about, right about there. Okay, so I just want you to see how big this is. Remember when the disciples came out of the temple in Matthew 24? Look at how big this is, Jesus. And he says, there will not be one stone left on another. But it was big. That's why they were responding the way they did. Okay, so that's what's going on in verse 9. He was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now imagine that you were Zechariah. You'd read about angels all through the, you know, Genesis and Deuteronomy. You'd read about angels appearing to people. You'd heard about angels. You'd never experienced an angel. And there you are doing your worship, offering the incense, picture of prayer to God, and there's an angel there. And so the fact that God sends an angel is to help Zachariah understand the, the significance of this. And the fact that Luke emphasizes that God sent an angel helps us to see what's happening here is really big. Okay? Fourth, the angel promises that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a baby, a very important baby. Look at verse 12. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. This is powerful. Now, throughout the Old Testament, whenever an angel announces that a baby is going to be born, that is a sign that this baby has an important role in God's plan. Some examples. An angel announced that Isaac would be born to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac, very significant figure in Old Testament history. An angel announced that Jacob and Esau would be born to Rebekah. Jacob and Esau, very important figures in, in Jewish history. An angel announced that Samson would be born to Manoah. Samson had a very important role. And so God has an angel announce the birth of this child to Zechariah and Elizabeth. So everybody would understand. So he'd understand. All those he would tell this would understand. We would read this and understand this baby has a very important role. Okay? Not only that, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Elizabeth had not been able to get pregnant. Okay? She had, had been barren. And think about the women in the Old Testament who had not been able to get pregnant who then God stepped in and answered a prayer and they got pregnant. And think of the significance of the children that were born. This is, a, this is a way that God displays the importance of a child. Sarah had not been able to get pregnant, but then bore Isaac. Rebecca, already mentioned, had not been able to get pregnant, then bore Jacob and Esau. Rachel had not been able to get pregnant, bore Joseph. Manoah had not been able to get pregnant, bore Sam, Samson. Hannah had not been able to get pregnant, bore Samuel. Okay, so both the fact that an angel announces uh, the birth of this baby and the fact that Zachariah and Elizabeth were old, past childbearing years, and God said, you're going to have a baby, all this is to show this baby has a very important role. So are you feeling this? Okay. Fifth truth Luke wants us to get. This baby would be the prophet's 
preparing the way for the Messiah. This is huge. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. Again, nothing nothing wrong in the Bible with, with wine or strong drink in moderation, but in the Old Testament, when God called someone to abstain from wine or strong drink, whenever God calls someone to do that, it's a sign that this person is called by God for a very important purpose. Another pointer here. Keep reading. This next line is stunning. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, does that mean from the time of birth onward, which would be amazing enough? Or does that mean from within the womb, which would be amazing too? And the commentators I read thought that it should be from within the womb because remember when Elizabeth, with this baby in her womb, goes to visit Mary? Remember what happens in that story? And the baby leaps for joy because... This is Mary who's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Okay, that's what Elizabeth describes as happening. And so this baby is filled with the Holy Spirit from within the womb. Now, no one in the Old Testament was ever described in that way. Which I think means that this baby spiritually is greater than any other person in the Old Testament. And Jesus actually says that in Luke chapter 7, among people born of men, no one's been greater than John the Baptist. Wait, I told you who it was. John the Baptist, okay? But we're getting there. You already knew. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. There were earnest, fervent believers, but the majority of Israel were far from God, either far from God in in self-righteousness, following the scribes and the Pharisees, or far from God in blatant rebellion against God. Many in Israel were far from God, but he, this baby, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, when Zechariah heard those words, he would have been stunned because He knows what the angel is referring to is two prophecies in the book of Malachi. So I want you to turn to Malachi. This is page 803 in the the Bibles we passed out. Turn to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Zechariah would have known the angel is saying God is going to fulfill the prophecies he gave in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Let's start with Malachi 4. Verses 5 and 6. I want you to see this. So I want you to feel Zechariah was an Old Testament priest. He was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. He prayed the Old Testament scriptures. He looked at, he read the prophecies and longed for these things to take place. And now the angel is saying, it's going to happen. Okay? Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah 
the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So before the day of the Lord, before the end of history, which means this is tied in with the coming of the Messiah, God is going to send Elijah the prophet. And that does not mean that he's going to raise Elijah from the dead and the same Elijah is going to come back. What that means is that he will send a prophet in the power and the spirit and the anointing that Elijah had. Remember Elijah? Remember Elijah, Mount Carmel, Baal, and Jezebel? Remember the whole thing? Okay, John the Baptist, power. So I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So before the end, linked in with the coming of the Messiah, God's going to send a prophet like Elijah. Look at verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So at the end, before, before the day of the Lord, before the final judgment, God's going to send this prophet, like Elijah, who's going to return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Families will be restored. Reconciliation will occur. Heart change is what's behind that. So that's Malachi 4, 5, and 6. We've got the word Elijah, and we've got the idea of turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Just to the left there. God says, Behold, I send my messenger. That's, That's this prophet like Elijah. That's John the Baptist. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek, and that's the Messiah, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, that's the Messiah, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here's what's going on. God says, I'm going to send a messenger who's going to prepare, and then the Messiah is going to come. So there's going to be this, this messenger to prepare people, and then the Messiah is going to come. So putting Malachi 4, 5, and 6, together with Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, in 450 B.C., Malachi prophesied that God would, in the future, send a prophet like Elijah, great power, great anointing, who would return the hearts of the fathers back to the children. There'd be restoration in families and who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Malachi 4 and Malachi 3. Now, with that in mind, turn back to Luke chapter 1 again, verses 16 and 17, and think about Zechariah, who was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, prayed the Old Testament scriptures. He would have had times on his knees praying, send the prophet like Elijah. Send the prophet who will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. We need that. Send the prophet who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Send this prophet, like Elijah, hearts of fathers to children, who will prepare the way. And then you, if you're Zechariah, you hear what the angel says in Luke 1, 16 and 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord of people prepared. So Zechariah would have been stunned at this point. God was going to send the prophet like Elijah 
God was going to send the prophet who would turn the hearts of fathers back to children. God was going to send the prophet who would prepare for the Messiah. God was going to send this prophet and he's my son. He's going to be my son. This prophet's going to be my son. Can you feel that? Amazing. Sixth, Zechariah has every reason to believe this angel. Okay, this is important. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And we know from, in a couple verses, this is unbelief here. Okay, Zechariah was not a perfect man. He did not believe what the angel was saying. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Okay, Gabriel, very significant angel. The same angel who talked to Daniel back in Daniel 9. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to you and to, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. When's he going to come out? Okay. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Zechariah did not believe what the angel was saying. He was struggling with unbelief here. And he wanted a sign. I like a sign to show that you're speaking the truth. So God lovingly disciplined him for his unbelief and gave him a sign. Okay? Okay. Um, You will not be able to speak until the baby's born. I believe. Okay? He was persuaded. All right? This is a real angel. He's sent from God. He's speaking from God. That's why I can't talk. And so the point that Luke wants us to understand is Zechariah had every reason to believe what the angel was saying to him. And then final truth. The angel's word is fulfilled. And Elizabeth gets pregnant. Verses 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Elizabeth was pregnant. She would soon give birth to the prophet. It had been 400 years since a prophet had arisen. Now, John the Baptist was the last prophet, okay, because then the Messiah came. In 400 years, Elizabeth was going to give birth to the prophet, the one who would come in the power of Elijah, the one who would restore the hearts of fathers to the children, the one who would prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah. So, before I draw some conclusions now, I just want to open it up. What what questions uh, does this stir up? I want to make sure you, you get the details, you see the flow of what's happening here. Seven main truths Luke wants us to, to be resonating with and trusting and seeing and understanding. And again, the whole focus of this is to, to highlight the, 
the significance of this Christmas season so that you will worship Jesus more passionately and trust him more fully and that this Christmas season we're praying will be one of the most meaningful spiritually that you've ever had. But what questions? Does it make sense? Two really good questions there. Let me just throw out my thoughts and then if you want to add something, anybody else? Uh, the point of saying that as a, as a prophecy is it's it's taking one specific example of, of how somebody could uh, have their hearts turned back to God. So a father who is uh, distant from his kids, ignoring his kids, not loving his kids, um, John the Baptist is going to be used by God to have that father say, what am I doing? God wants me to love my kids, and so that father's heart will be turned back to the Lord. And, and the point of saying that is that's that's one specific example of this, this broader people's turning back to the Lord. So that he takes one example to, to, to represent the whole. All kinds of different ways. So kids will be turned back to fathers, moms turn to kids, people turned away from lust, people turned away from greed. All these things will be happening as a result of John the Baptist preparing God's people. So that's why they pick out that one fathers to the kids having their hearts changed. But then how does that fit with the fact that Jesus said uh, daughters will turn against fathers and and uh, and children will betray their own parents? And that's just a different picture. That's, that's just the result of when the gospel comes into a family, not everyone's going to be saved and there will be some who oppose. So so those, work to, those aren't contradictory statements because one's talking about unbelievers in a family and this is talking about God's people responding. That's a good question. Um, prophets speak in uh, figurative, symbolic language. And so when you read a prophet, you kind of have that in the back of your mind. And there's a couple other places too. And, and the New Testament actually says that this is the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. So we know it's not Elijah himself, it's someone else. And so all that kind of put together is why... Um, I believe that that's he's not going to raise Elijah back from the dead and bring him back, but he'll be somebody like Elijah. So it's a good question. I think that's the that's the answer. And we we have two, Jan and me. We we adopted both our kids. Jan right. wasn't able to get pregnant. Um, sometimes God answers prayers for children and gives children, and sometimes He doesn't. Uh, but but my 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 understanding, I think this is biblically, is that whenever you pray in Jesus' name, God will always do either exactly what you're asking for, or something even better, which you may not have had had you not prayed. And so that was our experience, Jan and me. And so what I would encourage your friend to put her hope in is not having children but in Christ as her treasure. And he will do whatever will bring her more of Christ. It may be having biological kids is the way. Beautiful. It may be not by having biological kids. Beautiful. Does that help? Yeah, it's just a tough situation. Yes, and it can be very painful. And others of you have struggled with infertility too, I know. But he is, he is the treasure. He is our all-satisfying treasure. So that's where the comfort and the strength will be found. I'm not sure who the two witnesses are. I'll just start with that one. But the, the, in the Old Testament, as the prophets looked ahead, um, 
they saw two events, the coming of the Messiah and the judgment of God. And it's kind of like when you, when you look at, two, look at mount, mountain ranges, you, ranges can look very close together, but when you drive to the top of the first range, it's like there's a whole valley and hundreds of miles between this and the next peak. You know how that goes? You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And that's what the Old Testament prophets, as they looked ahead, they saw the coming of the Messiah and the great and mighty day of the, and, and, and the day of God's final judgment. And they talk about them as if they are really close in time. And, uh, and in, in, in the New Testament, we see that, well, they, they, they saw rightly, they didn't see the whole picture. There's a, this one's like way, 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 way back here. And so that's, that's, that's the answer. Okay, let me, let me just draw this to a conclusion. Notice, let's go back, to, go back to Luke. And notice the first, in verse 16, I, so, I just feel like we should end on this note. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's what's always important, is that your heart is turned to the Lord. Okay? It's not that John the Baptist did that and then nobody else needs to do that. That's, that's, what it's, that's what the coming of the Messiah is all about, is that your heart is turned to the Lord. And so I just want to, want to have you ponder this this week as you spend time with the Lord, as you're talking in your families. What is your heart turned towards, really? And the questions I ask myself are, what, do I, what am I most excited about? What fills me with the most pleasure? What gives me the greatest joy? What do I fear losing the most? What does my mind move to when it's in default? That shows me what my heart is turned towards. So what, what is your heart turned towards? Just talking, I mean, this question that Aaron raised was just such a good question. Psalm 16.11, John 6.35, all the scriptures we love to, to, to quote here at Mercy Hill. Jesus Christ is our all-satisfying treasure. And you want to turn your heart to what, is, what will be your all-satisfying treasure. Right? Don't waste your hard-earned heart energies on things that aren't going to satisfy you. Right? And so I just want to highlight then two points about who God is from this passage. One is just to notice his mercy. He cares about you. That's one of the reasons you want to turn your heart towards the Lord, because he cares about you. And it's very powerful to me that here in this story of John the Baptist, the prophecy, the angel, the temple, that God would say, the first thing the angel says is to Zechariah, God's heard your prayer. uh, Elizabeth is going to get pregnant. That's just very touching to me. And at the very end, Elizabeth's uh, statement, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God's done this for me. So we have kind of a subplot in the story of the tenderness of God to give Zechariah and Elizabeth a baby. Don't you love that? And so you can turn your heart towards the Lord because he feels tenderness towards you in Christ because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. He is welcoming you. He loves you. He cares about you. And you can turn your heart to him. That's a powerful reason to turn your heart towards him is because he cares. And we see that displayed in how he has cared for Zechariah and Elizabeth. He cares. Secondly, he is rock-solid faithful to all of his promises. What the angel spoke to Zechariah happened, right? Even Elizabeth, as old as she was and as old as Zechariah was, she got pregnant, okay? 
and that here this promise was about the coming of John the Baptist and the coming of the Messiah, all these prophecies from centuries back were being fulfilled. Every promise God has made in his word, he will fulfill. And I would guess that that there might be a promise or two and you are doubting right now whether God is going to fulfill that promise. And I just want to tell you, he will. He will. So my encouragement to you is to turn your heart towards the Lord. Right now, in a fresh way, you're my joy, you're my treasure, you're my passion. God is revealed in Jesus Christ. I love you. I want to live my week and my life for you. And then as you spend time with the Lord, individually and as a family, ponder that, pray over that, nurture that, deepen that, strengthen that. And this next week and then for, for the rest of our lives, let's have our hearts be turned towards the Lord. That's my challenge to you. So let's stand together. Let me pray this over us. Hearts, Lord, can be turned to all kinds of things now. Stuff we've got to get done, problems at work, concern for our kids, 49ers playing, uh, Christmas shopping, which we buy for this person, all these questions. Those aren't bad questions, those aren't bad things to be concerned about, but Lord, we want our hearts to be turned to you. We want to worship you as revealed in your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Lord, right now that you bring your power upon us and that we would all turn our hearts toward you. I pray for anyone here who has never turned his or her heart to you and that right now they would do that. They would see all that you are, Jesus Christ, your death paying for their sins, your power which will change their heart, your presence and love which will satisfy them. If you've never turned your heart to to God in Jesus, do it now, right now. We'd love to pray with you afterwards and and encourage you in, in coming to know him, being saved by him. And Lord, all of us, we all have things we struggle with. We want to turn from those and turn our hearts to you now. Thank you so much for having Luke write this story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for the angel coming. Thank you for your faithfulness to them. Thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for this event that happened in history. We trust you. We love you. Thank you for meeting us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.